The Assyrians were Israel's enemies, and Jonah wanted them dead. When God didn't execute his wrath against them, Jonah got angry. This same anger infects our hearts in this time of crisis. We must all sit down and listen. In the conclusion of the book of Jonah, God speaks about his compassion and his justice. This message was given the Sunday after 9-11. Father, we are so thankful this morning that we can doubt and we can be afraid and we can ask you hard questions. But we thank you that you are still there. That you are not just some emotion that we have conjured up in our own humanity. That you are not just someone that will disappear when we grow up and we become mature. We thank you that you're much bigger than even this present universe. We also are really thankful this morning that in your heart, there's not one single iota of evil. We thank you so much that we don't pray to you as some great force that can go either way. And I just pray that you would give the lie as that kind of a philosophy. And just over the last several years and really many years, there's been all kinds of expressions of there isn't such a thing as ultimate right and ultimate wrong. Well, Lord Jesus, we've learned this week that deep in every one of our souls, we know what's right. We also know when we see evil. And everything cries out within us that things are not just relative that there really is a right and there really is a wrong. We thank you so much that we can talk to you as a God that knows what's going to happen. We don't know what the next few weeks will bring, what the next few months will bring. But we thank you so much that we can be confident, that we can have hope, that we don't need to be afraid because you do know, because you're the Lord of history. Not just the Lord of creation, but you're the Lord of history. We're thankful for this church family that we're able to study the book of Revelation together. And we're able to learn how the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Babylon, is going to seek to overcome the kingdom of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know that the precious rider in the white horse rides forth at the end of the book of Revelation in Revelation 19. And we don't need to feel that the Lord Jesus is afraid today or wondering if he can take on the evil one and who will win. We thank you that he's already beat the evil one when he died on the cross of Calvary for us. I'd ask you, Lord, that the great event that took place on the cross of Calvary would help us to understand that the Savior that we love today, that we've been singing to, is the Savior that beat the darkness of evil. And he was able to beat it at his weakest point. He was able to give himself over in death and cry out that it's finished. And he broke the power of the adversary, your adversary, the devil, forever. Father, help us also to reaffirm our belief in the, in the empty tomb. Because it reminds us today, it reminds us from the depths of our being that buildings collapsing and people's screams and life ending, physical life ending, is not going to be the final cry. The final cry is going to be, the Lord reigns. 
and Jesus is king. And Lord, I pray that you would move us through this time of great, great crisis. Help us not to run into uh, denial. Help us to be able to fully experience and face what's happening. We pray for courage for our soldiers and we pray for great wisdom for our military leaders and for our political leaders. We ask you for protection for innocent people. We pray that you would give great, great skill to our armed forces to be able to punish those who are guilty. But as a congregation, we would cry out to you to put a hedge around that wave of destruction. We'd ask you, Lord, that if Satan tries to unleash murderous violence and hatred and, and all kinds of anarchy, we pray, Lord, that you as the God of order and the God that brought creation out of chaos would powerfully work. I pray, Lord, that like right now, we can't even preach the gospel freely in so many of these Islamic lands. And they're afraid and they're closed and there's laws against the sharing of Jesus. I'd ask you, Lord, by a miracle of your grace, that you would tear down those barriers. Father, help us now as we sit at your feet. We really need you to teach us from your holy word. I think probably in, in a way that we could not understand last Sunday, we can really understand now why Jonah was so angry. Because we can feel that kind of anger, that kind of burning hatred that's in our soul and wanting people dead. Help us to be able to hear what you had to say to Jonah, to be able to understand that as we talk to you that you're a God of compassion, you're a God of tender mercies, you're a God of forgiveness. You're also a God of justice. We're all asking this morning, if you're so good and if you're so kind, then how can you allow such a horrible, violent thing to happen? But Lord, I just pray that we'll realize that we're not going to get the answer to that question by getting angry with you, by running away from you. Help us to realize that if we do that, that we only run into the same kind of terror, the same kind of darkness that caused these men to reach that point when they would fly those planes like missiles into the building. And we'd ask you now, Lord, that you would teach us with our daddy in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All week I've been working on what we should say, and I'm like you. I couldn't work, and it was hard to keep your mind and to study, and such a difficult thing to do that. So on Friday morning, I just tried to jot down some of what was going through my own life, and maybe you'll identify with some of my feelings and actions this week. Stunned. Horrified, resolute, giving, angry, strong, compassionate, weeping, furious. All of us have cascaded through these emotions and actions since the fall of the Twin Towers and sections of the Pentagon. We thought 747s crashing into our beloved U.S. buildings only occupied the pages of a Tom Clancy thriller or a Bruce Willis movie. Now we've witnessed the horror with our own eyes. Young pilots, sailors, and soldiers from our own church wait in the highest alert for their orders. The war against terrorism, a war against a ruthless and visible enemy who strikes and hides, who infiltrates, murders, and then retreats into the shadows, will soon begin. Righteous indignation, it burns, demanding that this evil be destroyed. In the seconds that we watch the terrorists turn a passenger jet into a missile, all the postmodern talk of moral relativism ended. We instantly knew 
This was evil. And this was real. The monster of mass murder tried to destroy our freedom and our love. And when all of you to understand, the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not murder. And all of you know, deep in your soul, in a split second of time, you just found out that that's not just some arbitrary rule. It's not some human decree. But deep in your soul, you know that it's wrong to violently take innocent life. I want you also to realize that every one of those other commandments from the Lord expresses love for us. And we dare not turn away from any one of those precious standards of what is right. But in the midst of the chaos, as we learn that there really is an evil, in the midst of all that chaos of collapsing buildings and death, whoever, we also saw the birth of sacrifice, compassion, and love. Firefighters and police ran up the stairs. They ran running right to the furnace of that building against the flow of people running to safety. And they ran and they gave their lives for others. You've all heard the stories. You've heard of a young man that carried a woman that he didn't even know that couldn't walk, an older lady, carried her 15 flights of stairs. You've heard other stories of people carrying a paraplegic down over 80 flights of stairs. You've all seen the pictures of people that didn't even know the people that they were covering as the debris fell. People threw their bodies on fellow workers and shielded them from the violence and the debris that was falling. You'd heard of a priest that went with the firefighters all over New York and he was struck by debris as he prayed and gave the last rites to the fireman that had given his life in that cause. The tender stories, over and over again, we hear one after another. And some of you get really angry. And you say, well, God, you know, God, if you're, if you're supposed to be good, why did you let such a horrible thing happen? And there must not be a God, because look what's happened. You also need to realize, what about all these stories of sacrifice? What about all these stories of love? What about all the tender things, the powerful, gracious, sacrificial things that people did? You know, that's just as real. In fact, the Bible teaches us that that is the cause and the power and the love that's going to last forever and ever and ever. So please don't get angry and turn away from God because you need to look at that burning building and that collapsing building and what happened at the Pentagon. You need to realize that just as evil is real, you've also seen incredible demonstrations that God is real as well. What was supposed to be a cynical, hardened city, a city that worshipped only money, revealed itself as a community of human beings who would respond to the surprise attack with resolute determination and grace. Throughout the nation, the sounds of amazing grace and the star-spangled banner stained our cheeks with tears. And the proud arrogance that said there is no God was suddenly drowned out by the cries Oh, God. Oh, God, help. Friday morning on Good Morning America, Franklin Graham was asked the hard question that faces us all. If God is merciful and if he is kind, how did such an evil thing occur? If there is a God of mercy, how can we be merciful in the face of such evil? Now we know in our hearts why Jonah was so angry. Now we know why he was so angry when God did not immediately destroy the Ninevites. The Assyrians were Israel's enemies, and Jonah wanted them dead. 
And every one of you this morning in your heart now know what it means to want somebody dead. When God didn't immediately execute his wrath against the Assyrians, Jonah got angry. This anger seeks to infect all of our hearts. As a pastor teacher, I'm very concerned about the anger and the hatred that wants to infect all of our hearts. We've already seen in the Metroplex as Molotov cocktails have already been thrown at moss. This is the time of crisis when we must all sit down at our Father's feet and turn to him. We need to listen to him. I want you to turn to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. Because Jonah was very angry in chapter 4, just like a lot of us are very angry. In fact, I think one of the ways that you can think about what's happening is to think by analogy of when the prisoners broke out of a South Texas prison. And early before Christmas, they took a very loving policeman right from a family gathering, celebrating Christmas Eve, and as he went to an Oshman store, he was blown away, riddled with bullets into eternity. And all of us remember, remember what it was like to have a gang going throughout the country. And law enforcement's like Bobby and and agents like that throughout the country searched in one of the massive manhunts. The truth of the matter is, we were all in danger, just like we can feel danger now. And we understood why the law enforcement officers needed to go after those men. That's a righteous anger. And one of the things I want you to understand this morning is that the God of the Bible is not just a sentimental lover. He's not someone that just says that you can just let murderous violence go. And this is a very real thing. In Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, right after chapter 12, where he tells us that we need to be forgiving towards one another, we need to be compassionate, we need to be gracious, we need to be kind. Romans chapter 13 also tells us that the governmental authorities that God has placed over us do not bear the sword in vain. Now on an international scale, we've had murderous, violent men that have vindictively taken light because evil's real. So it's going to very much affect us. And I want all of those that are in our church family that are part of that to understand that as they become part of our government and serve in our military forces and serve in the FBI and serve as policemen, there's so many of you that are policemen today sitting before me. I want you to know that God has not placed the sword of his justice and of his execution of a just penalty against evil in your hands for nothing. That's part of the God of Scripture. It's part of what we're learning. And we learn that in the book of Jonah. We learn that in the Old Testament. We're going to find out that God didn't just let the Ninevites off. He didn't just forget about all the violence that they did. And I want all of our law enforcement officers to know that they have our backing and our prayer as a church family. I just prayed Something that's very, very important. Satan wants to spill that violence and that hatred much farther than those that are really involved. Some of you are going to be tempted to have a hatred that wells up inside of you. This happened in World War II when Pearl Harbor hit. You all know the stories. The United States actually took Japanese Americans by the thousands and put them in, in camps. Those Japanese Americans were just as much hurt by what happened at Pearl Harbor as we were. Many of those Japanese Americans fought even though their parents 
were in those camps because they believed in exactly what you believe in, freedom and the tremendous privilege of being an American. It's easy to look back and say, how could they do such a horrible thing? Because they were afraid. Our nation was afraid. And when you're afraid and when you hate and when you become angry, it's easy for that anger to spill and for many innocent people to be hurt. And I just really want to balance that because the book of Jonah is telling us that the Lord cared for the Ninevites. That's what we've been learning. The Ninevites were Israel's enemies. Now you understand why Jonah did not want to go and preach the gospel to them. Because he knew that God was not only a God of justice, but God was also a Lord of a tender heart. You think of Palestinians. Your normal viewpoint towards Palestinians is that they all hate you and they're all dancing in the streets and they're all giving candy to one another. I want you to know that there are many, there are hundreds of Palestinian believers living in Israel that are weeping with you. If they were here in the flesh, they would want to hug every one of you. They would want to tell you that they love Jesus just like you. They would want to tell you that we've been trying to reach our people for Jesus. We've been trying to pour out his compassion. We've been going to church with Israelis, even when grenades are thrown between our neighbors. And we've been trying to demonstrate that there really is such a thing called reconciliation in Christ. So when you hear the word Palestinian, don't just think. Don't just think the enemy. Because one of the things the book of Jonah is teaching us today, it's been teaching us for many weeks, is that doesn't God care for this great city? As you think of New York, I mean, just in a small way, when I moved to Texas, when I moved to Texas, they put on bumper stickers. I've often joked with you about this, but if you love the Big Apple so much, go home. When I started in Midlothian, that was a bumper sticker that I saw. I'd sit at DTs and, and people would find out you were from New York and man, you know, you were like the enemy. You see how easily we stereotype? But you found out that that great big monstrous city of arrogant, fast-talking, know-it-all people, you found out underneath they're just like you, aren't they? And they bleed and they cry and they hurt. And what I want you to see is that in Christ... In Christ, you unite. And in Christ, we join, like as, as New York faces as, as a city, faces such a great, 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 great challenge. We join in the Spirit with our brothers and sisters that are there. And we can pray that God's Holy Spirit will just break through that city. Their big thing that they trusted, New Yorkers trust in economics, just the way we trust in economics. And all of us saw in a split second that the most powerful economic symbol in all the world can just crash in a few seconds. But we can tell them, but you know, if you have Jesus, all of your belongings, all of your jobs, everything can turn to ash and dust. But if you have Jesus, it's going to be okay. That's the incredible thing that I trust that you believe today. Jonah forgot that God was a God of compassion and a God of mercy because he wanted his enemies dead. And I want to show you as you read this chapter an incredible thing that hatred does. The reason I, as a pastor to you, I want you to be careful of your hatred 
Even those of you that are in law enforcement, I want you to, to realize that when we hold the sword, even the divine sword of God, it's so important to hold it with great dependence upon him. And I pray to the congregation that you're going to just be pouring out to your heavenly father to give wisdom by his spirit to the FBI and to our military. They decide what should we do. Very, very difficult choice and trying to preserve innocent life. We don't want there to be mothers crying and, and children absent fathers and mothers because of our hatred. That's the thing that we hate so much. That's what the Lord God has poured into our soul and oh, how we need to pray that the Lord will give us great, great skill and precision and wisdom. And it's going to take a lot of hard work. This is not... This is not the kind of a thing where you can just make a missile strike and, or have a commando raid and you're going to deal with what's going on. There's a deeply entrenched commitment that says that I hate you and I hate what you represent. What I want you to understand is that I want Islam to be able to present its doctrine. I'll fight for Islam's freedom to tell you about Islam. I'll fight for Jewish rabbis to be able to tell you about Judaism. I really mean that. You say, Dave, do you believe that Islam is true? Do you believe Judaism is true? Not in the ultimate sense, I don't. But I believe that the Lord Jesus has given every one of you the freedom and the right to be able to decide for yourself. I think that the true God of the universe has respected every one of you so much that I can never use force to get you to believe. I believe that if you open your heart, and I believe this is true of anyone around the world, if you open your heart to God's love, if you open your heart to God's truth, even in nature, if you respond just a little tiny bit, then God is so loving, he's so compassionate, like we learn in this book, that he'll draw you to himself. So I believe in the free flow of ideas. I believe there should be no control like that over spiritual belief. I want you to understand the difference between toleration and believing that all things are relative. I believe that there's major differences. And one of the things I want to warn you about, because in all the events that's happening, there's a tremendous statement, you're hearing it constantly, that all the great religions are the same, that we all believe the same thing. And that's not true, brothers and sisters. It is not true. In saying that, automatically people will say, well, you're part of the bigotry. No, I'm not. Truth is truth. Truth is true. No matter what I think, no matter what I believe, truth is truth. Truth is what's going to really be there when you pass on into eternity. And I want you to know that there is a difference. When Billy Graham says that if you know Jesus and he lives in your heart, then even when the building implodes around you, it just became one of the most exciting, one of the most exhilarating ride into glory anyone could ever have. And only Jesus can say that. And I really want you to understand that. If I was a Jewish rabbi standing before you, I could not promise you that the everlasting arm would instantly take you to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. But Jesus, a Jew, gave us that promise. Buddha didn't leave the grave behind. Jesus did. And so in the midst of all of the talk about how we all just need to believe the same thing, I want you to understand that there are major differences, but I also want you to understand that in saying that Jesus is the only way, that we're, we're saying that therefore we fight and that we throw stones and we try to destroy other religious systems. What we need is a lot of believers like you throughout the Middle East, and one of the things I want you to cry out 
is that the Lord's going to pour out love in the Middle East. It's going to open up somehow, some way, that somehow we're going to be able to be there in force as believers to be able to share Christ. Jonah didn't understand that God was a God of justice. And that's why in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home in Israel? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you were slow to anger and you're abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. That's what hatred does. You see, Jonah knew in his heart that God, and I want you to know in your heart that God is a gracious God. That's the first thing. Jonah, even though he was angry, he knew God is gracious. Aren't you glad of that? In other words, you can be hardened in your sin. You can be hardened in your rebellion against God. If you repent, if you turn away from your sin, Jonah knew in his heart, way back in the Old Testament, that God takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. Nail that down in your heart. The God that we've sung to today, the God that we love, the God that's really there, is a God of gracious compassion. The next word Jonah forgot was the fact that God was not only gracious, but he was compassionate. He says, God has a womb-like love. It's the word I've often shared with you. It's the tender, tender love that God has for us. Melissa back there is carrying a little baby in her womb. Maybe this will be the day as we get really close. And we're excited about that. Melissa has an incredible compassion for that baby that's within her. And she didn't have that incredible love for that child from here on out, for eternity. You know, love that precious one. Well, the love that Melissa has for that little child developing within her is from God. That's the way God loves every single one of you. That he gave birth to you. And he has an incredible tenderness towards you. That's the God that's really there. And it tells us that he's a compassion. He's slow to anger. Now, this is very, very important to understand it. God is slow to anger, and that's important. It doesn't say that God never gets angry. Very important to understand that. God is slow to anger. It doesn't say that he never gets angry. He just says that he's slow. And what it means is that God doesn't just get angry like, men. we see this event happen. We just want to retaliate. Some of us get so angry, we want to sign up now and let's just go blow some terrorists away. Anybody felt like that? Sure, a lot of you have. Aren't you glad you have a president that's a little bit methodical? How many of you have got security in that? They're manifesting. You've got to be slow to anger. It's very important to understand, though. God is slow to anger, but he does get angry. If we study the book of Jonah, God relented of sending the destruction of his divine condemnation against this city in Jonah's day. In Jonah's day, God relented of the evil and the destruction of this city, the, the terrible destruction of the city of Nineveh. But I want you to know in history, 150 years later in 612, the Babylonians and the Medes formed an alliance. And one of the things I want you to learn from this is that you can rest secured that God has not been caught by surprise over what's happening. Terrorism and nations trying to form alliances to destroy the evil empire that's been going on. 
And God held us in his word that he's involved in this. And what the book of Nahum, the book of Nahum reminds us, that the God that forgave Nineveh in Jonah's day is the God that brought the Babylonians and the Mede in an international alliance together. And in 612 B.C., the proud city of Nineveh was turned into just a heap of ruins. And it was destroyed. And that's the balance. God is slow to anger, but don't ever take the fact that he's slow to take it that he won't deal with evil, that he won't deal even with our own sin. That's why there had to be the cross. It's only on the cross as God's son took the the terrible judgment that righteousness demands that God the Father could let us go, could set us free. We don't believe that God is angry. Now you understand that there is a righteous indignation. I want all of you to know that when that plane went to that building and you saw how evil and saw innocent people screaming and everything inside of you said, someone should pay for this, I want you to know that that's part of the image of God in you. We are made in the image of God. Now what's important is to be slow and to be methodical and to be careful and to be strong. And I want you to never forget that God has gone through this process over and over again in history. And until Jesus comes back, we're going to go through it again and again, and we're at it again. And that gives me great security today. My Heavenly Father is an expert at what's involved in our present international crisis. He's slow to anger. But if Assyrians fell, terrorists are not going to have the final word in human history. And we need to pray that it will be able to play the part that the Lord wants our nation to play and that we'll play it wisely. Jonah forgot that God was slow to anger and God is full of abounding love. I want to close by one of the biggest things that hits me as I watch those people that were destroyed and I realize how instantly life can be snuffed out. And I know I tell you this over and over again and I know that some of you say, well, Dave, you know, I just can't live like that. This has been a weird week for me. In fact, this has been a weird several weeks. I watched the Twin Towers be destroyed. But on Thursday, before that, Mary and I rushed to the hospital right behind an ambulance. And Tommy Hobson was on the edge of eternity. Reva, Reva, share with me. We were in the intensive care room all by ourselves. She reached across the bed and grabbed a hold of me. She said, Dave, I want you to know, the Lord let me release Tommy. And she said, I want you to know that I can release Tommy. Now, Reva and Tommy have been married for years and years and years. In my own life, ever since I moved to Texas, Tommy and Reva have been there. And I want you to know that bodies being destroyed from the top of the Twin Towers isn't any harder or easier. It's the same ugly curse of death. You see, this weird thing, I go from watching the Twin Towers, I walk into an intensive care room and my friend can't really talk to me anymore. He can just barely acknowledge my presence. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that you can't run away from this. Those people that worked in New York work in the most powerful economy there is in the world. None of those people, as they walked into the Twin Towers that morning for a normal day, Tuesday morning, September 11, 2001 in New York, nobody in those Twin Towers were saying, today is the day when in seconds I'm going to be in eternity. But it happened. 
And whether it's from illness as you age like Tommy, or whether it's from a car accident, or whether it's a weirdo terrorist attack, we live in a world where you never know. Physical life is not secure. And from the depths of my soul, I want to challenge every one of you. I want you to, to be sure that you have invited the resurrection and the life into your life. One of the things that just that really concerns Mary and myself is that you can sit here and listen to the teaching of the word week after week after week, but you've never really taken Jesus into your life for yourself. This is really important because we don't know what's going to happen. And, and I'm not trying to scare you. I'm the, I don't think I need to even worry about that. This is a difficult situation. But I want you to know the greatest treasure that I have in my life, it's okay. I'm okay. The sum of all fears can happen. Tom Clancy's novels can become totally reality. And as for me and my house, we're going to be okay. And I want to be sure that every single one of you is going to be okay. And you can be okay if there's come that moment in your life. I'm not talking about joining a church. You understand that. Jesus is right here this morning. I ended my week. We started the week with the Twin Towers, but I want you to know that yesterday morning at sunrise, Tony Smith, who grew up in our church, his mom and dad are here today, Anthony Smith, one of Jonathan's friends, got married up on top of Bennell Mountain in Austin as, as the sun came up. And at his side was a girl named Van. Van is a, is a Vietnamese-Chinese-American. And Van sat in my office just a few weeks ago, and she's a cosmetologist in North Dallas. The very first thing that she heard about Jesus was she was working on a lady, and the lady found out that she was from a Buddhist background, and the lady immediately said, you're going to burn in hell someday. That's the very first thing Van learned about Jesus and Christianity. What a way to start out. Then she started going to several churches because she was searching. She wanted to find out some things. And she went to several churches and she said, I listened to one Sunday morning after another. Somebody yelled at me. They yelled at me that I was going to burn in hell. That's, that's what I heard. You're going to burn in hell. And then Tony had wandered a little bit away from the Lord. And, but the Lord was tugging at his heart. So he started going to Pentago Bible Church. And my friend Randy Frazee was just teaching. And Tony really wanted Van to come to know Jesus. But he didn't want her to come to know Jesus because she was in love with him. He wanted her to fall in love with Jesus. And he told her that over and over again. And Van said in my office, she said, you know, a few months ago, as Randy was, Randy was not, she doesn't call it preaching, just teaching. I opened my heart to Jesus for myself. I said, Van, what was the difference? He said, Randy explained to me who Jesus was. She explained to me the incredible Savior that he was. I finally realized that, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose again for me, that it wasn't just like joining, you know, that he wanted to fry me in hell, but instead he loved me so much that he was sent to the world so that no one should perish. And Van couldn't put it all together as eloquently as that. But in essence, she just said, somebody finally took the time to tell me about Jesus. Well, we're taking the time this morning to tell you about Jesus. Jesus Christ, if he lives in your heart, Jonathan can be on the, on the deck of an aircraft carrier. 
with Jesus in his heart, he's okay. And his mom and dad can be scared and they can be afraid, but they never, never fear with a hopelessness of not knowing what's going to happen to him. Because Jesus lives in our life. He's going to take us to be with him forever and ever and ever. And what it means to know Jesus is just to come to that moment in your life when you just say, Jesus, I believe that you're real. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again. Maybe some of you heard that as a kid. Maybe it got all, all mixed up in the, somebody yelling at you, somebody preaching doctrine to you. Maybe some of you faced philosophical questions that you couldn't find an answer to. Maybe some of you went to Vietnam. Maybe some of you have been firefighters or policemen that have faced what those men in New York have faced. And I just want to share with you, it doesn't make sense to turn away from Jesus because of the horror of evil and the horror of what death can bring. Because if you turn away from him, where have you turned? Where are you going to go? And that's why Jesus comes today and says, turn to me. If you already know Jesus, it's time to say, hey, this is really serious stuff. This isn't just Sunday morning. This has got to be what my life is about. This is life and death. And I've got to really, I've got to just commit my life to it. And I need to commit myself to helping people to come to know Jesus. If I've never met him, it's time. This is the time. Because we never know. This is the time to open your heart to him. Let's pray. If you aren't sure that Jesus Christ is in your life, will you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, go ahead, quietly in your heart. I admit to you, that I desperately need you. I admit to you that evil and sin is part of me. Thank you for dying in my place. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you rose again from the dead. And even as I watch those images of death, a crashing building and knowing that people are being transported into eternity, I know that physical death is a very real reality that I could face. I'm going to believe that you rose again from the dead. Not just as a religious symbol, but I believe in history you rose again from the dead. And so I just ask you to come into my life. And as you come into my life, I receive you as the one that can give me the promise of eternal life forever and ever and ever. If you pray that prayer, the Lord Jesus, because he is real, is right here. And he has entered your life. If we really receive Jesus in the privacy of our own heart, that's where it begins. But when Jesus really comes to live, then we do confess with our mouth. And we want to really encourage you to tell someone about the decision that you made.